Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to help yoga teachers transform their teaching by mastering the fundamentals of anatomy. By learning anatomy in my easy step-by-step way, you'll be able to confidently share it in your cues, easily create sequences, and you'll eagerly answer student questions. And all along the way, you'll increase your impact and earning potential. On the podcast here, you will hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, go ahead and visit barebonesyoga.com, my website, for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all that are there, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. And if you'd like, send me a one-line email with the answer to this question. What's your biggest frustration right now as a yoga teacher? And I'm happy to do some brainstorming with you in a free coaching session. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get to today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 206. So I'm recording this on September 22nd, 2022, and this will go live on Monday, the 26th, which I am happy to report or I'm excited to report that it is next week, my birthday week. My birthday is the 29th. My father's birthday is the day before the 28th. So I always love this time of year, beginning of fall. Today is actually the first day of fall. And um, September is just always such a a great month from a weather perspective and my birthday month. So I'm excited about that. I also wanted to um, thank uh, those of you who came to the workshop last week. I did two workshops that were the same thing. I did them two different times and they were on queuing and sequencing. We had some really good conversation and some good back and forth questions. I had some follow-up emails from people. So if you made uh, one of those workshops or even came to both, it was great to see you. <clears throat> and if you miss them, I am, I'm sure in the next couple of months, I'll repeat that topic. I think for October's workshop, I'm going to focus on techniques for teaching off the mat because lately I'm getting so many, I'm just having a lot of conversations with with teachers about their desire to stop practicing with their class and ways that you can do that. So I'm thinking that would make a really good topic for the next uh, free workshop, which I'll do in October. Uh, Today, what I'm going to be sharing are some ideas for sequencing. And so we're going to get into three different sequence uh, formats or themes. And before we talk about that, I wanted to bring up another topic that I've had a couple of conversations with uh, of late. Um, And this is something that's come up in conversations I've had with teachers in my program, uh, including some of the teachers who recently enrolled when I opened enrollment last week. 
And um, it has to do with the number of people in your class, or as it's called in the industry, I guess, your class numbers, your headcount. And I know that, you know, this is sometimes a really practical consideration because I know some of you are probably paid based on how many people are in your class, or maybe you get a base rate plus some amount for every person. I, I certainly know in the past I've been hired to studios where that's been the format. <clears throat> I always personally kind of prefer just a flat rate and, and know that that's what I'm going to be paid. I feel like that's a little bit better from a budgeting standpoint. <clears throat> and it also just accounts for the natural variability that happens seasonally. You know, of course, here in Boston, we don't get as many people in studios when it's the middle of the summer. So it sort of covers you there. The reason I wanted to bring this up, though, is because in some of the conversations I've been having with teachers lately, they're equating their class size to their worth. And I used to actually do this myself, especially when I was a new teacher and I got hired by my dream studio. I was teaching for Baron Baptiste and that was something that I'd wanted to do. I was a student at that studio and I really uh, pursued hard getting hired. And uh, when I did, it was very common for me to compare the class size of my class or classes versus other people. Um, and these are people that I've known for years that I have good friendships with. It didn't really matter though. I always sort of turned the class size comparison into a statement about me. And it was sort of, um, I don't want to say enhanced, but that feeling of comparing the number of people in my classes to other people's class sizes was sort of encouraged in a way because we were told that uh, people vote with their feet. <laughs> that was that was what we were told. And um, I, I really did believe that. I, I really did believe that the number of people in your classes was really an indicator of if they if they liked you. And over the years, and especially um, in these, you know, connections I'm having with teachers where we're talking about this, I've, I've really shifted my perspective on this. And I, I want to share it with you to get your thoughts on it. So you can always send me a DM and let me know or comment on my social media uh, or send me an email. Because what, what, what it really says when we say, you know, people vote with their feet. Yes, I think inherent in that statement is the idea that people are, of course, acting on their own free will. But I think it also implies that you as a teacher have some control over what people are going to do. Now, I think that, yes, there is absolutely a connection between who you are, how you teach, what you offer, and people are going to naturally gravitate to that, or maybe they're going to be turned off by that. It's not a style of yoga they want to do. You know, they don't like the way you present, whatever it is. However, I think 
to a certain extent, when we worry about our class numbers and we fixate on our class numbers, and especially when we make it mean something about who we are and who we are as a teacher, it starts to create an equivalency between the number of people in my class and how I am as a teacher, or if I'm a good teacher or I'm not a good teacher, like there's all these judgments that get attached to it. And really at the end of the day, it puts the focus on you trying to control what people are going to do. When in reality, you really don't have any control over that. And wouldn't it be better, a better use of your energy and time to focus on what you can control, which is how you show up? what you know as a teacher, are you developing? Are you growing? How are you showing up for your classes, both energetically and even intellectually, right? What I know as a teacher comes out in the intellectualizing of the practice, which probably sounds a little weird because we don't always think of yoga from an intellectual standpoint, but there's kind of that academic piece what do I know about movement? What do I understand about anatomy? How, how can I translate that knowledge into cues? And then there's all of the energetic side. How do I show up for my students? You know, how am I feeling as I am teaching? Am I up in my head letting all these scripts run that are telling me that I'm not worth it, that are telling me that they don't like me, that are worried because there's only three people in the class and I'm stuck in this thought process that it means I'm a bad teacher. All of that takes energy. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I wanted to start to poke holes in that equivalency that you may be making, which is the number of people in my class is something number one, I can control. And number two means something about me. You know, there are a lot of things out of our control as teachers. You know, there are things, if I frame it from my point of view, there are things that I can't control about what my students do, which is basically everything. <laughs> so if they come to class, when they do come to class, if they like it, when they do come to class, if they pay attention, when they do come to class, if they feel a connection with me, if they feel it's beneficial for them to be there. You know, a lot of those things I can't directly control. I can contribute to, I don't even want to say controlling them, but I can influence them, right? I mean, if I'm using cues that are really good, solid cues, if I'm not practicing with my students and instead I'm walking around the room, I'm increasing the probability that I'm building connection with them. So that's what I mean about shifting the focus from them to you constantly putting the focus on what you can control. And all of those questions I said a few minutes ago, how am I showing up? What am I offering? What do I know? What are my learning gaps? Am I filling in my learning gaps? Am I coming to yoga teaching from a place of integrity? Or am I coming to yoga teaching from a place of copying what other people are doing, hijacking other people's cues, using cues that I don't know the reason for, Am I showing up in a way where I'm in a negative headspace, where I'm feeling badly about myself, where I'm using derogatory internal thoughts towards myself? All of those things are things you can control. And what really is interesting about this kind of 
exercise, this sort of shift is that once, and I've experienced this, once I shifted to what I could control, I just naturally shifted my perspective to not really caring how many people were in my class. And sure, there were experiences and there have continued to be experiences where I have a bunch of people in class, where I don't have a lot of people in class. Of course, things are very different right now for me as a teacher because I don't teach in person since COVID. So I'm teaching online. So I think there's a natural decline in the number of people going to online classes these days because there are so many more studios that are open. Even though when you teach online, and I can certainly say for myself, if there's one person, two people, four people, six people, it really doesn't matter to me. I'm uh, still responsible for showing up and teaching the class. And in large part, that's one of the main reasons I offer online classes, because I firmly believe that that responsibility, that feeling of being responsible to show up means that I am in integrity as a teacher. And also there's all the other benefits of teaching that I get from showing up to teach regularly, which I wouldn't get because right now I don't work at a studio anymore. <laughs> and, um, and so teaching online for me keeps that channel of teaching live classes open and all that comes with it. If you're uh, teaching in a studio, you have, you know, a little bit of a different experience, obviously, and all the same things apply. So I just wanted to bring that subject up, especially if you are having some angst right now about your class numbers, or if you're starting, or maybe you have been making that equivalency between how many people are in your class and what that means about you. And I, I really hope that through this conversation, if you are thinking thoughts about, you know, well, how many people in my class means something about me, that this conversation has loosened your attachment somewhat to that, because that's really not true. And I think that that's a narrative that could possibly be out there, or maybe you've created for yourself, that's going to do nothing positive for you as a teacher. So shift to what you can control and do what you can to be at cause for those things, those causes, those, those initiatives, rather than spending your time worrying about something that you really don't have direct control over. So that's number one. Number two, before we get into the sequencing stuff, I want to share just a really inspiring story. And I don't know if she's going to be listening, but one of the teachers who just recently enrolled last week in my yoga anatomy blueprint learning program, which is my signature program. Um, we had our first coaching session recently uh, within the past couple of days. And, you know, I, I talk in the past about light bulb moments. This was like, whatever's bigger than a light bulb, like a lightning bolt moment. And I want to share this with you as an example of the power of one-on-one -on -one coaching, which many, many yoga teachers do not get because they're getting trained in groups. We are typically trained in groups and we don't always have an opportunity to work with a mentor one-on-one. -on -one. When you work with a mentor one-on-one, -on -one, like what I do in my program, 
it's really life-changing and it's something that will up-level your teaching really beyond what you can get in a group scenario. So the deal is with this particular teacher, she really feels sort of like she's at the end of the line with teaching. She's very frustrating. And some of the reasons that I just shared about class numbers, she shared with me. And there were just other aspects of her teaching that she was feeling really frustrated about. And one of the biggest challenges that she's experiencing, which a lot of the teachers I work with experience, is how to figure out cueing, what to say, how to say it. And there's this really amazing exercise that I often do with teachers, especially because I'm working with them remotely and they're on Zoom with me, is I have them teach me with their eyes closed. Just take me through some sun salutations with your eyes closed. And the reason I do it this way is because I want them to just really connect to just the process of articulating the practice without having to see their students, in this case, me. And so it was really interesting for me because as I experienced her just being, and then when we went to the exercise where she closed her eyes and she began to take me through some sun salutations, I felt a shift in her way of being because I could sense that she wasn't exactly sure how to choose certain words for her cues. And so I I could feel the tentativeness in her voice. I heard that it was a little bit challenging for her to find the words that she wanted to use. And so after that first experience, I gave her a number of techniques really around sharing impactful, clear action cues. And I did a couple of demos and then she did a demo and it was really completely different. I mean, within the span of 20 minutes, just by sharing with her a different framework for the way she was presenting cues, doing a quick demo for her, and then using this technique of having her just talk me through Sane's with her eyes closed, my experience of her teaching was completely different. And at the end of our session, she said to me, Karen, I can't even tell you, I feel so great that my money is so well spent investing in your program. I feel like now I am absolutely finally on the right track. And I mean, that's what I do this for. That's why I offer this program. It's not even a program. I mean, yes, that's the structure. It's really an opportunity for you to shift from where you are to where you want to be. And every time I work with teachers and I have experiences like this, it gives me more fuel for the fire to tell more people about this opportunity for them to shift. So I wanted to share that with you. If anything about that resonates with you, I want you to get in touch with me and I can tell you more about how we can work together. So for today, I wanted to, as I said, share some ideas around sequencing. And I'm going to include in the show notes for this episode, both the link to purchase my practice portal, which is filled with sequences and it's just 99 bucks. And then also a link to download my freebie, which is about how to build a yoga sequence. So both of those links will be in the show notes. The first um, sequence, the objective of the sequence is to improve balance. And the muscles that we're going to be targeting in this sequence are the muscles of the lateral hip. So this is gluteus medius and gluteus minimus. 
as well as muscles of the core, like the rectus abdominis and the transversus abdominis. And these are stabilizing deep muscles. Uh, well, the rectus isn't so deep, but the transversus certainly is. And we're also using core musculature to help with stability. We're also using, or our students, when they do these postures are using quadriceps uh, for knee extension when it comes to the standing leg. So those are the muscles that this particular posh, uh, sequence will be targeting and poses that would give your students an opportunity to strengthen these muscles and to improve their balance and all of the other aspects of balance. I mean, I'm not even referring to things like improving focus or helping with coordination. Um, those are all additional benefits of having your students work on balance. Examples of postures would be things like standing hand to knee pose, tree, airplane, eagle, warrior three, and half moon. And one of the other aspects that you can add into a sequence like this is create some uh, smooth transitioning from one pose to another. So for instance, I love to do an airplane to a standing split to coming up to standing, kicking the leg forward, coming back into airplane to standing split, coming up to standing, kicking the leg forward, and then setting the foot on the ground. Because as they come up from standing split and kick the leg forward, I don't want them to touch the ground with that leg. And then they go right back into airplane, back into standing split, up to standing, kick forward, put the foot on the ground, and then switch to the other side. You have to be really mindful that you don't have to do more than two cycles of this because it can be pretty taxing on the uh, standing leg. It's a really good way though to add a little bit of dynamic movement. And keep in mind as well, I didn't mention gluteus maximus, but the standing leg, if you really have them root down and cue them to root down into that standing leg, they're going to be using glute max for stabilizing of that standing leg as well. And that's another great benefit. So this is a, a sequence that, you know, the postures I mentioned, you can, of course, intersperse throughout your sequence. You could uh, stick a front end on this uh, list of poses where you're doing some sun salutations, maybe some opening lunges, and then you take them through a balancing sequence where you go through some of the postures I mentioned, and then you finish off with maybe uh, maybe triangle series and, and things on the floor and then restorative poses, and then you end. Um, the other thing is, of course, you don't have to do all of the postures I mentioned, and you may have other balancing poses that you like that you want to swap out. One other thing I'll mention is, you know, just be mindful for how many repetitions you're going to do on one leg, because you don't want, you know, to, you know, link too many poses together and have them constantly have your students constantly be standing on the same leg for more than, I don't know, maybe a minute or two without switching. So that's something to be mindful of. And as you're going through this, let them know about the muscles that they're using. If you are familiar with them, um, let them know of the benefits to the strength in the standing leg to uh, the ability to focus. I mean, a lot of this, the factors that we might know 
I wouldn't always assume that your students know. So it's a real uh, opportunity for you to share those with them to just further shore up the benefits that they're receiving from practicing. And okay, so that's sequence one. Sequence two, the objective is shoulder strengthening. So notice I didn't say shoulder opening. I think shoulder opening is kind of a very, I mean, it's certainly a very frequently used term in, in yoga teaching. It's definitely a frequent approach uh, that, that teachers use. One way that we can sort of reframe it as we understand more about anatomy is we can focus on um, shoulder movement from a strengthening perspective when we identify certain poses that work certain muscles that their concentric action is a strengthening action. So for example, the muscles that I would be targeting in a shoulder strengthening sequence would be muscles like the serratus anterior, which protract the scapula, separate them away from the spine, the infraspinatus and teres minor, which are part of the rotator cuff group and are responsible for external rotation. And the reason I like to focus on strengthening those two muscles, those external rotators, is because people hunch a lot. And so they're oftentimes stretching those muscles. So if you think about a shoulder strengthening um, sequence, you could offer people an opportunity to do a number of poses where there's external shoulder rotation as a way to strengthen those muscles that are potentially overly lengthened. So poses would include things like plank and low plank, dolphin and eagle. Those are all heavy poses when it comes to the protraction of the scapula, the abduction of the scapula, which is the function, one of the functions of the serratus. Crow, same thing. If you have people do a straddle forward fold, the prasarita padasanasana, put their hands on the ground, kind of like your uh, crow positioning, your low push-up positioning, that will also help them use the serratus anterior. Uh, if you have them do archer arms in anything, whether it's traditional uh, cow face pose, or even you can certainly use archer arms, even in like a warrior or a chair, and then just switch sides. That's a great way to, for the upper arm where the elbows pointed up, uh, facilitate external rotation. And then for the lower arm where the elbows pointed down, you're facilitating internal rotation. And quite honestly, there aren't a lot of postures where we're offering people internal rotation as an intended anatomical movement. There are certainly a lot of poses where people tend to internally rotate, but that's just more a postural habit. So archer arms is one of those arm positions where we want them to take one shoulder into external rotation, one shoulder into internal rotation. And believe me, you know, the Terry's major is the internal rotator of the shoulder. And there's nothing to say, you know, even though we posturally are hunching forward a lot, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't ever want to work to strengthen internal rotators. I mean, it sort of makes the case that they might be overly contracted. So you want to balance it out with uh, external rotation as well. But again, you know, you can do postures where you're, uh, like in archer arms, having people internally rotate and then you switch sides and you do the other side. So it creates a sense of balance. It does give some opportunity 
for that teres major to strengthen. And, um, and then you're doing the other arm in external rotation. So that's facilitating the strengthening of the external rotators and therefore the stretching of the internal rotators. So this is just one of the nice benefits we get by doing the same pose on both sides. Um, and then uh, obviously downward facing dog is good for both external rotators, because in down dog, your shoulders are in a little bit of external rotation. Uh, the serratus anterior gets strengthened in down dog because there's upward rotation of the scapula because the shoulders are in flexion. Dancer's pose has the arm that's reaching back and grabbing the foot. That, um, that shoulder is in external rotation. So you get strengthening for those two external rotators. And of course, upward dog shoulders are in external rotation. So that gives you an opportunity to strengthen those external rotators. Um, upward dog, your shoulders are also in extension. So you're getting uh, strengthening there of Terry's major as a shoulder extensor, as well as the lats. That's just a little sidebar. And then in wheel pose, Urdhva Dhanurasan, the shoulders are in upward rotation, uh, scapula, are in upward rotation, which is also a function of the serratus. So that's a framework you could use if you wanted to focus on shoulder strengthening. And certainly when you take people, one of the first poses I mentioned was plank. When you put people in plank, you can have them do these little serratus push-ups where they're in plank and you have them press into the ground and round their upper back, sort of like cat pose and repeat that about four or five times and then take them through low push-up, up dog, down dog. And that's a nice, those little lifting and protracting the scapula. That's a nice way to strengthen the, um, the serratus. So that's that second sequence. And then the last sequence that I wanted to share, the objective is more restorative. So this is going to be a blend of both longer holds, um, postures that tend to be closer to the floor, as well as some myofascial, so myofascial release. So if you have a foam roller around, if your students have access to MFR balls, um, this would be a great sequence to integrate the, uh, those tools in width. And you could also, if, if you know it, of course, use it as a springboard to talk about fascia, to tell them about the qualities of fascia. This is a big part of my program. I go into not only techniques for MFR, but first talking about what is fascia, what is its function, what is its composition. So the objective here is more restorative. The muscles targeted are muscles, including the piriformis and the other external rotators of the hip, like the quadratus femoris and the gemelli muscles and the obturators, stretching the hamstrings, stretching the glute max, and lengthening the adductors, muscles of the inner thigh. So poses would include things like half pigeon. So on half pigeon on the bent knee side, you're lengthening glute max. MFR techniques like foam rolling or just compression using the ball, foam rolling with a roller, uh, compression using an MFR ball, pin and stretch using an MFR ball where maybe you're working on the pecs and you have them lay on the ball with the ball on their pec and you have them move their arm in a cactus arm shape up and down. That's a way to pin the ball against the muscle and stretch the muscle back and forth as you move the limb. 
any posture where you have um, like a seated straddle position that will get to lengthening the adductors as well as the hamstrings. So that's kind of nice. Any straddle position sort of works on lengthening both those muscles at the same time, muscle groups at the same time. Any Anything where you have legs crossed or, you know, like in an easy post shape or a butterfly, you know, supdabata konasana, anything like that, great for activating external rotators of the hip, as well as lengthening adductors uh, on the inner thigh. Seated forward fold is great for lengthening the hamstrings. You can, of course, modify by bending the knees a little bit. And as you are forward folding, you're also getting some nice length in the erectors of the spine, because even though you're flexed forward, it's sort of a passive, sort of a passive um, thing versus an active backbend. Now, with all of these sequences, as I said, you could, I mean, these poses I'm sharing with you aren't enough for a full class. It's really just, I'm sharing with you the postures that would hit the objective. And then you can wrap around these postures, other things like maybe an integration slash warm up, maybe some sun salutations, and then these poses, and then some sort of wrap up sequence, part of the sequence, and then a cool down Shavasana and, and you're done. So this will give you a little bit of kind of the, the main point of the sequence, and then you can customize it with whatever you want to do before or after. So again, in my, in the show notes for this episode, I'll include my sequence building template that will give you a step-by-step process to follow, to create your sequences. And, um, and also the practice portal that I have, which I sell for $99 has almost a hundred sequences in it. I think it has like 70 sequences. So you can use those for reference. You can use those for practice. And there's also different components of the portal where there's guided meditations, there's guided journal exercises, there's a review of some research articles. So it's really more than just practicing yoga. So with that, this wasn't a super long episode, although I think sometimes these little shorter ones are are nice to fit into, easier to fit into the schedule. I know some of the pods I listen to are like two and a half hours long. It takes me like four days to get through them. Uh, So I hope you've enjoyed this. If you're still listening, I'm so glad that you're still here. and, And I hope that you found this valuable. I'd love to know any thoughts or feedback you have. So feel free to send me a DM on Instagram or to send me an email. So I hope you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, 
you'll see on that page, the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes that you wanna to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information, and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.